right, so great to have you here joining me in this moment where we're together in the Lord's house in a different way than we planned connecting. Again, I'm hoping things will continue to improve, but in the meantime, I'm exceptionally grateful for the opportunity to be able to have this time together. And even now, Lord, I ask that you would bless what we're about to share. Let there be life in it. Help us to create room for you. Help us to think well and to set aside our distractions and really listen for your words, for your words are life for us. So give us your grace, give us your goodness, give us your life as we share this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I want to talk about, as we continue on in this Up and Over series, focusing and looking at it through the lens of the life of Joseph. I want to talk about how to enhance our endurance capacity. I think we're all going to need that from time to time. Like, how do we stay with things? How do we keep going when a part of us wants to quit? We're going to talk about that a little bit. Things are hard. We feel like giving up. How can we learn from the example of Joseph and draw strength from it? You know, every now and then people will ask me, they'll say, you know, um, you know, I, I, they'll say, you know, I really don't think too much about that Older Testament. I just focus on, you know, Jesus and some of the things in the New Testament. And I'll say, well, then you're not really, I mean, that's good to, to focus on Jesus. I I'm, can't beat that. But if you never look at or learn and familiarize yourself with the Older Testament, I said, you're really, you're really losing out on so much of what God has for us. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of value and beauty in the Older Testament. And we ought not to just minimize it. It's actually quite powerful. One of my favorite verses that reminds us of this is actually found in the book of Romans. Romans 15, 4, it says this, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. I mean, look at that verse. I mean, what an amazing verse. The Older Testament, it's, those are the scriptures that this verse is talking about. You know, it's a reminder that the Older, Older Testament really is pointing us towards something. It's, it's pointing us to Jesus. It's showing us how we get to Jesus and the cross. And the New Testament, in a way, points back. And everything emanates from it, in a way. So if you look at, think of it this way, the New, everything points back to Jesus. And what is Jesus but God coming down to meet us in the human experience and both things crossing. And is not that the center of the gospel? In my mind, the pivot point of human history is Christ and him crucified. Certainly in his coming, his death and his resurrection, we have the essence of the gospel that God who loved us and relentlessly pursued us has given everything for us that we might have him because we could never get him any other way on our own. He had to come to us and give himself away. A gift I cannot repay, a debt I owe, who would be that nice to pay a price that wasn't his? Well, I know someone like that. As the poem goes, he's your best friend. He really is. He really loves you. I'm talking about Jesus. And we will always appreciate Jesus better when we can appreciate the Older, older Testament because it, it, it gives us, you know, that was the scriptures that Jesus referred to. And in the New Testament, so much of what is understood and the background leading up to Christ, all the symbolism, all the examples. Again, it's all intertwined. 
It's a comprehensive thing. When we talk about the Bible, it consists of two parts, an older and a new Testament. And this is very important for us to remember, as the verse says, and just again, looking at it, reminding ourselves of it, that these things were written for our instruction. They're designed to help us, to teach us, uh, to give us a greater understanding of how to trust God, how to appreciate Jesus. All of that's connected. And then on top of that, even more to look at that, to enhance our capacity for endurance. So one of the benefits of looking into the Older Testament and the examples of people who love God is that it helps us run our race. It helps us to endure. You know, there's always going to be times when we want to quit. The life of faith is not always easy. That's another thing that shows up, doesn't it? Life of faith is not always easy. Life is not always easy. Life is hard. We're in a hard time now. Some of us are in, a, in you know, suffering, in, honestly, in a lot of different ways. I mean, we're, we're under a lot of pressure. We feel very discouraged. I know that. Some of you have shared that with me how hard this has been and is for you and how much we are looking forward to things returning to a better place. And we do look forward to that. And by God's grace, we shall get there. I believe we will. But in the meantime, we have to walk through things. And um, this is very important then that we have good examples to draw from that enhance our capacity to have a faith that endures. Endurance is actually an underestimated virtue and quality. It really is. It speaks of something that can last, of staying with something, even and perhaps especially when it's hard, that we don't quit. We don't, we don't give up. When we hit that wall, we don't stop and cave and just die. But we learn to grow over like that vine growing over, like that tree growing over the wall, like Joseph, right? We learn how to endure hardship. We learn how to walk through things, grow through things. Many of you have been hearing me say a lot these past months, if we have to go through it, actually I've been saying it now for a few years, we might as well grow through it. If I have to go through it, I might as well grow through it. And that growth is going to be so much connected to an attitude and an openness and a commitment to take advantage of the opportunity that the adversity is bringing us to trust God in a deeper way, to learn more of who he is, to understand ourselves. But I mean, there's so much there to love better. So much of it is connected to our attitude, right? Our attitude is going to be a huge difference maker. If we know the Lord, we can be an optimistic person. It doesn't mean everything has to go our way. And when it's hard, we're going to endure. And one of the benefits, again, of the scriptures of the Older Testament and the examples that we are given is that it helps us to understand what endurance looks like. Plus, notice the other phrase, it was designed also to help encourage us, to fill us with more courage to face things. I look at endurance as sort of just keeping, keeping on, you know, staying with it, moving forward. But encouragement has to do with just something that's more internal. It, it, it's like, it has to do with our demeanor and our, our overall way of seeing things when we feel beaten down. The opposite of that is to be encouraged, ah, to be filled with a vital optimism that is capable of facing things and moving through it because we trust, because we're anchored in hope, a hope that is in Christ. In this life, it's hope, and it extends beyond this life into the life that is to come. The Christian life, because of Jesus and his resurrection, is all about hope. If we can remember that, and again, 
The Old Testament has so many examples that are designed to give us hope and strengthen us and really to keep us from falling apart. And, you know, we, God doesn't want us to concede to the negativity of things. I personally have found, for example, that's where Psalms can be so helpful. We forget the Psalms were and still are in many ways, the songbook of the church, the prayer book. It's a place that we can go to. For example, when I need wisdom, a lot of times I'll sit with Proverbs. When I want to see good examples, I like to study the Bible characters. I really do. Uh, you know, not only are there doctrines and teachings in the Older Testament that illuminate the New Testament, to me, and this goes back to when I just started following the Lord and I've just kept it up, I've always loved the examples. The men and women of the Older Testament who modeled a life of faith. Yeah, I know, a different culture, different circumstances. They didn't have Jesus, but they had a belief in God. They had, a, they had something that was remarkable in its own right that is an example for you and me. Joseph stands out as one of those characters. In fact, in my mind, Joseph probably is the most outstanding example of what it means to endure and to persevere and to see God deliver um, of any figure. I mean, he, he maybe is the greatest model we have. The exception of Jesus and, and maybe the Apostle Paul, right? Certainly in the Older Testament, I can't really think of anyone quite like Joseph. And so I love the fact that we've been able to, you know, sit with his example. Look what it says in Hebrews 12.1. Again, just connecting back here. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Think about that. So important to embed and familiarize ourselves with the people of Scripture. Why? Because they become buttresses. They can hold us up when we find that our faith is wavering and our courage is waning, that their examples considered, reflected upon, and absorbed can actually, as we're told here, just encourage us along in our race. So you have a race to run. I have a race to run. But we've got a cloud of witnesses who are cheering us on. They've gone before us and they've showed us the way. Many of them will never know their names. But the ones who we do know, boy, there's so much life in drawing from them. And, and again, Joseph is, is one of those. We read about him in the book of Genesis. And I want to I pick back up, you know, sort of where we left off. Some of, the, some of us may remember that Joseph found himself in an actual situation that was not good. It was, he was in a very precarious position because, uh, and we, and we commented that though this is not the common thing, it's what was happening to Joseph. I mean, he was being put into a situation by Potiphar's wife where he was being asked to have an affair to, to, to sleep with her. Uh, Joseph had been entrusted. He, he was not a free man, but he had been given exceptional authority in the house of Potiphar. We talked about that. Potiphar was the, you know, keeper of Pharaoh's guard. Uh, he was the one responsible for security. He was a man of great power and he was focused on his career. He wasn't home a lot. Joseph seemed to run everything. And, um, you know, we mentioned that, that in, in, you know, commonly it is the man who has historically been the one who harasses or initiates. And, and, and certainly that's been the case. And we're hoping that that will continue to improve. And that we, we are seeing some improvement as more and more people are aware of that dynamic. But, you know, when it comes to, a, a, you know, adultery, uh, it's clear that in this situation, it was Potiphar's wife who really was advocating to have a relationship. 
and uh, perhaps she admired Joseph, appreciated him. Um, there was a yearning to be with him, uh, and she had a little more power, and yet Joseph had been entrusted. And we read about this, that it says in verse 7, and, and you know, after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused, and he said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in this house. He's put everything that he has in my charge. You know that. He is not greater in this house than I am. I mean, he's given me such authority that he doesn't even oftentimes know what's going on. And he's kept, he's kept nothing from me, nothing back, except one thing, you, and you're his wife. And I, how then can I do this great wickedness? I mean, even if I wanted to, I would not do this. This is wrong in the eyes of God. I would not sin against God like this. And as he spoke, well, as she spoke to Joseph day after day, there was a relentlessness there was a desire. He would not listen to her. He decided that he had to, to be very clear about his, his you know, determination to not engage in anything more than uh, what would be appropriate. And she continued to um, pursue in this regard. And um, she wanted, well, it says here that Joseph would not listen to her and to lie beside her. Because that's clearly implied that she was inviting him to do so, and, and he even tried to avoid being with her. But one day, when he went into the house, we're told, to do his work, and none of the men of the house were there in the house, that she caught him by his garment. She grabbed a hold of him, and she said, you know, sleep with me, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand. Remember, he was a younger man. And he fled, and he got out of the house. He ran, and as soon as we talked about how there are sometimes situations where we just got to run, we got to get away. To, to linger is to die, is to, to delay, is to create a scenario where we will weaken. And maybe Joseph felt weakened. We can't assume that he had no, um, you know, vulnerability himself. Perhaps there was a part of him that felt drawn to Mrs. Potiphar. We always seem to characterize him as somehow being, you know, non-feeling and non-pulsed. But I don't, I don't necessarily think that's true. But what we do know is that he, he, he ran, he left, he, he ran and he, she had his garment and she held it. And as he fled out of the house, he's running out of, imagine that in our mind's eye, he's running, he's, he's trying to get out. And, and then she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us, to hold us to scorn, uh, to take advantage of us, and, and to exploit us. I mean, what a, imagine this, this outsider. What audacity does he have? You know, um, and she said that he came in to lie with me. He tried to, to uh, be with me, and, and I cried out with a loud voice. I screamed when he started coming on to me. And as soon as I heard, as soon as he heard that, I lifted up my voice. Then he, you know, and that I cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled. And see, here it is. Here it is. Here's, here's the proof. Look at it. I've got his coat. He's run off because he got caught. You know, woman scorn. This in this case, she was hurt and angry and she felt rejected and um, she had enough. She decided to be done with Joseph. And as soon it says that she, well, then she laid up his garment by her until, this is verse 16, until her, his master came home till Potiphar returned. And she told him the same story. And then she said, who does he think he is, this Hebrew servant that you brought in here? This Joseph. 
You brought him here. You're responsible for him. Look what he tried to do to me, you know, and, and just, you know, think that he can somehow just laugh at me um, and take advantage of me and that I wasn't going to do anything about it. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and I cried out, <laughs> he took off and look, he left this garment and he fled out of the house. I don't even know where he is. And as soon as his master heard this, as soon as Potiphar heard these words, he, that his wife spoke to him, this, 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 when she said, this is the way your servant treated me. I mean, he was angry. His anger was kindled. His initial reaction was anger. But at whom? Perhaps initially at Joseph. I think that would be the case. But as he calmed, I think the anger shifted a bit to her. One suspects it, that he was actually upset with her. Oh, woman for her ridiculous claim because he knew Joseph. I, I suspect he did. And the embarrassing and untenable position that she was now putting him in. Because <sighs> what was he supposed to do? The accusation now known, she had made it so publicly. He could not now side with the Hebrew. He would be embarrassed. <sighs> he was being, and now he was going to have to lose he, the one who was running his house, so it was just bad business on top of something that I don't think he even believed. It was just a mess. It was bad. It wasn't good. But Potiphar felt like it was a scandal that he could, a man in his position could not afford. And so he did what he did. He did what he did. He, the calculating man knew that he had to act. And so, you know, he did it. But his choice betrayed his true belief. Because if he believed her, Joseph would have been a dead man. At minimum, he would have been thrown into a prison where he would have died very soon. I think he would have actually been killed on the spot. But he put him in what we may call a low security prison. That alone was a statement. Look what it says in verse 20. And Joseph's master took him, put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Look at that, where there were official prisoners who were treated better and he was there in prison, we're told. Now, for Joseph, it was awful. I mean, there's no way around it as he was bound. And he was bound. His future now destroyed. Things had, even though he never wanted to be separated from his home, as bad as it was, the trauma being sold by his brothers and to the Ishmaelites and how as bad as it was to be brought to the slave markets of Egypt and then to be purchased by a man named Potiphar, it could have been so much worse. He had actually achieved a, a relatively good quality of life, though in confinement and unfree. It, you weren't going to get a better position than the one he held. And now it was whatever future he had was destroyed. And once again, everything seemed lost. And what do you do when you have one setback after another? Some of us know that feeling. We feel that way now. Or maybe we know someone who's walking through that and our heart goes out to them. But I want to return to the psalm that I shared in my opening message on Joseph weeks ago when we started this. It's actually Psalm 105. And, and I want to return to a thought that was connected to it. Look what it says here. Speaking of God and how he was working in the life of Joseph, it says, there's an example, by the way, of how a psalm illuminates a, an example of someone who is modeling the kind of faith life that we need to emulate. It says here, when he was summoned, when he summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, God, he sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, 
who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what he had said came to pass. Now, that's referring to his initial binding and how he was brought to Egypt. But we're told that until that the that it says that until what he said came to pass, God's promise over his life fulfilled. Until what he said came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. His, this is a remarkable statement, a remarkable phrase, a remarkable verse. The word of the Lord tested him. I've sat with that phrase many times, or at least a few times over the decades. The word of the Lord tested him. That is, his character was tested, revealed, and developed. And there are going to be times in our life, and it's just worth remembering, when the word of the Lord is going to test us, right? It is. And when we are being revealed and developed and when it is not easy, when we will have to wrestle with promise and pain and trust and disappointment and delay, right? When we're forced to into a process that requires patience, where we are being, if God has his way and we choose to allow him to work in our life, when we are being essentially shaped into something of a deeper person. Right, that is God's desire, and a deliverer possibly, <laughs> an overcomer certainly. But that's God's plan and God's will for our lives. And so I was trying to imagine Joseph behind bars, alone, abandoned, and in confinement. His reward for doing what was right. And it would have been so easy, and this is something for us to remember, it would have been so easy for him to become bitter and cynical and just give up. I like the, the opening blows of his life were hard enough, but now to have this one where it looked like he would spend the rest of his life, as far as he knew, if he wasn't, you know, on a whim, executed, he was probably going to spend the rest of his life in prison in Egypt. I mean, it looked bad. It was awful. It was, it would, it would have been enough to, to beat out the, the life in you. Um, it would have been, like I said, so easy to become bitter and cynical and just quit and to you know, die in a different way. I think others have done so with far less of a rationale. And perhaps some of us are right there even now where we are really battling bitterness or just anger or frustration or cynicism or apathy, um, you know, just, you know, kind of like, well, you know, if God was with me, then I wouldn't be experiencing this, this way kind of thing. Now, part of us, isn't quit all the way, but some of our contending, some of the part of us that's contending has sort of stopped because we just feel defeated. And I understand depression. I do. I understand that we can get discouraged and I know that there are dips, but what we don't hear, you guys, what we do not hear is Joseph lifting up his voice against God. You know, it's so easy to question God when we end up in prison, when we end up confined and unjustly treated, especially when we have been faithful. Okay, not even necessarily perfect, but just faithful. We've tried to do what is right and only to find ourselves seemingly forsaken. You know, I think of Jesus. Oh my God, oh my God, why have you forsaken me? We feel like you abandoned me, Lord. Like I shouldn't be in this situation. I mean, I've tried to do right in your eyes and this is what I get. You know, we, we can get ourselves into those places and it's a place, this is one of the things I want to suggest is that we do not go. Don't make God, even subtly, 
our enemy. Don't ever do that. The, 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 don't, don't blame God, right? When we're in a very tough spot, when things look like they're melting down, the last thing we should do is blame God. Secondly, on top of that, I want to encourage us to refuse to give in to the negativity. So don't blame God. Don't give in to the negativity. But instead, if at all possible, just remind ourselves of how much we are loved and that we have been given Jesus as living proof. And so I, I never have to question if God loves me or his goodness because I have the cross. Now, think about that. That was something Joseph didn't even have. We have that. We have Jesus. We have God's living proof. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have life. God has loved us to the full extent that God commanded his love towards us. Romans 5, 8, you know, when Christ died for us, right? God commends his love towards us in that Christ died for us, right? Think about that. He gave himself for us. He loved us. He can give nothing more than he's given. So I remind myself of God's goodness. When we are in a difficult spot, when it's when part of us wants to quit, don't make God the enemy. Refuse to yield to the negativity. Remind yourself of how much you're loved. Jesus is our living proof. And then, if at all possible, begin to determine to just make, make our case known to the Lord and make sure that we are welcoming him in to our situation. Listen, and then align our attitude and our words with that conviction. If we will do those things, we will find that we open up remarkable possibilities. And, you know, in time, in, in these, in these times when we're tempted to, as I mentioned last week and in the past weeks, to wander into the land of why there's so easy to do that. You guys, we can do that. Some of us are doing that now, or at least we're, we've started and we've got to really challenge you. We're, we're wandering into the land of why, why God, why God, why are you letting this happen? We wander into the land of why. And then if we're not careful, we start to settle there and then we start to build a house there. And that's where we live. And that's a bad place to be. It's not a good place. It's not the place that God wants us to be. We, he doesn't want us to murmur in our spirits and start, you know, questioning his goodness when he's given everything for us. And, you know, in, in, it's in these times that we can turn our eyes back to God's words. That's what I'm suggesting. Doing what we're doing right now is what we need to do. Like, that's the next principle. Embed yourself in tough times in God's words, in his teachings, in the teachings of the scripture. Embed ourselves in his promises. Adopt a promise for the season. Hold on to a verse or a passage or a story like some of us are doing. With, in a way, our church is embracing Joseph as a model for walking through this season. This is an example of what I'm talking about. And as we do this, we are drawing principles and strength and wisdom, and we're deepening and we're enduring and we're confronting things that want to set themselves up in our heart that will be destructive and negative and damaging. We're not going to go there. We're going to trust the Lord. We're going to line ourselves up with his promises. We're going to believe, you know, when we talk about this, you know, it's, it's examples of our past, the heroes of, of faith, like Joseph, who show us the way. He's part of the cloud of the witnesses that have gone before us. Now, look what it says in verse 21, and we'll sort of finish with this. It says, but the Lord was with Joseph. I love that phrase. But the Lord, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him, ha, huh, look at this, steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And we're going to see how that develops. 
you know, later on, um, next round in the coming months. And, you know, I've just reminded again of, of the steadfast love. I love that phrase. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, right? New every morning. Great is his faithfulness. It is. Steadfast love. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. I mean, that's like, like God saying that the Lord never, never left him, that continued to protect him in, in his love, with his love. And, you know, but the Lord was with Joseph, but the Lord. And dearly loved one, if I may say it, may the Lord be with you and me and show us his steadfast love and give, give you favor. Yeah, that's what I would ask for all of us in this time. The one who loves us, sometimes we break, but his love is revealed in the brokenness. I, I will say it this way, that in the brokenness of God, we've been given the evidence of his love. In the brokenness of his body, he broke the bread and he said, when you eat this bread, remember, it's my body broken for you. In the brokenness of God, the love of God is revealed. And oftentimes it's in our brokenness where the faithfulness of God is most revealed. If we will do what he is reminding us to do and give us a, and given us examples of how to do it, we will find that we will prevail. Let's keep that in mind. We're going to share the song. Now, before we do that, I just want to remind everybody, this is our time of giving and remember to be as faithful. Oh, you're already doing it. You've been as faithful. You've been an amazingly faithful group. I can't say enough. Everybody's been really stepping up. But if you do want to give, remember, you can give online. You can give on the app. You can give directly, um, sending it into the offices, whatever is best for you. My thing is keep your heart alight and alive and uh, give bountifully for the work of the Lord. We're all in this together. We're going to get through it together. I'm going to run this race together. we got a cloud of witnesses rooting us on. So let's keep our eyes focused on the right things. I'm going to come back around after the song. i got a final blessing and a final thought to share with you. So here we go.
the broken one who loves us. Ah, when we have no strength, even when he breaks us, it's to express his love through us and to grow us and to make us a blessing. You know, when we're faced with a problem or a crisis situation or a difficulty that we wish we didn't have to deal with, or we wish would just go away, it's, it's important that we, when we're feeling overwhelmed like that, that we don't go back and try to, to change the past. We can't change it. What we can control is our attitude, our response. That I can control, I can own that. And one of the things the Lord wants us to remember is that we are to keep our focus on the one who really is in control when all is said and done. That's a very important thing for us, not to get our eyes on the wrong things, but on the right things. Let's do that because you know why? He's so good and he's so God and he wants us to so good and to so God. And we do that best when we're walking in a place of trust. I really believe he wants to grow us. He wants us to not just go through it. He wants us to grow through it up and over. Here we go. So may the Lord keep you. May he keep you in your spirit, in your body and in your soul. For you are greatly loved.